Welcome everybody to Scripture in Black and White. Uh, I'm Bobby Harrington, and I'm here with my friend and my co-minister in Christ, Anthony Walker. Glad to have you with us today, Anthony. Glad to be here. And uh, we have a big topic today because we, in this series on marriage and, and the family, uh, we're in that section of Genesis where we've talked about Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, and how God designed the family and marriage. And uh, we want to talk about something that's a big cultural issue today that's addressed in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, God says, in Genesis 1, 26, that he made them male and female. Literally says male and female, he created them. And so we want to talk about gender identity, gender dysphoria. You could say this is the podcast where we're going to talk about transgenderism. Okay. So, Anthony, talk to us a little bit about the context of love and how important that is to us. So, you know, everything that we do uh, as Christians, it comes from a space uh, and motivation of love. Paul says that even if we do uh, works of ministry, if we have not love, we're just making racket. We're just, you know, doing empty acts. So everything we do comes from a space of love. And in that context of love, uh, Bobby defines love as grace and truth in action with grace taking the lead. So uh, there is an element of grace, no doubt, in love. God first approaches us in grace. If he came in his wrath, there is no us. So he comes in grace, but also with truth. Uh, Moses brought the law, as John says, but Christ came with grace and truth and grace obviously leading the way. So in this discussion, uh, we approach it from a, a love uh, dynamic and a love space. Uh, there is grace in this conversation. We're not here to beat up on anybody. We're not here to uh, make anyone feel terrible in themselves. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we would be disingenuous if we did not also bring truth. And it is the truth that sets us free from all of those things that hinder us. So in grace and truth, but with grace leading the way. That's good. By the way, uh, how we define love is really important. Uh, everybody is defining love. There's a real common expression, love is love. And uh, like, what does that mean? And so we draw, derive our definition of love from the, the person of Jesus when Scripture teaches us that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. So Jesus defines love. And uh, when you boil it all down, what was love in the life of Jesus? It was what Anthony said. It was grace and truth in action with grace leading the way. So when we, when we think of our relationships with transgender people or this whole question, uh, I think that that's got to dominate us. You know, several years ago, just to, to get real personal here, um, I was invited to speak at a conference uh, in a place far away, and I ended up staying with some friends who used to live near me. And uh, they wanted me to stay with them, which is great. I love them. And uh, a husband-wife couple. And uh, they had children. And 
I ended up having a conversation with her when her husband wasn't there and she asked for my help. She was desperate. She says, at night, my husband gets up and puts on a dress and stockings and he dresses like a woman. Mm. That he has this impulse uh, to dress like and identify as a woman. Mm. And uh, my heart just broke because um, it was a reality. Like, it wasn't made up. Uh, He had this struggle going on where he really wanted to see himself as a, a female in a man's body. So let's let's I wanna I wanna talk about that. In fact, let me just let me just say a few words about that. Got a summary here on, on my notes. Uh, here's what we know about gender dysphoria. That it's the feeling, like here's a classic definition. What is gender dysphoria? It's the feeling that one's biological sex does not match one's gender. So it's the feeling that uh, uh, that a person, I'm a woman, but I'm in a man's body, or I'm a man, and I'm in a woman's body. And here are the, the seven uh, character traits of it. Uh, first off, for true gender dysphoria, and I want to talk about how there's rapid onset gender dysphoria, and then there's pseudo versions of it. Like it's really common today. It used to be very rare. And a lot of people are just kind of trying it out. That's not true gender dysphoria. Okay. Okay. True gender dysphoria, number one, most don't, they don't choose it. In fact, it plagues. Number two, most suffer immense pain because of it. Super painful. Number three, uh, gender dysphoria itself is not a sin but it's a disordered condition. In other words, uh, it's very important that we don't identify our struggle to sin as itself sin. It's the sin nature that corrupts that we talked about we got from Adam and Eve when they ingested of the knowledge of good and evil, all their ancestors, including you and me, we have a sin nature that we struggle with, And for some people, the sin nature shows itself up in gender dysphoria. Well, the sin condition is not itself sin. It's how we act on it that makes it sin or not sin. And we're going to see that uh, gender dysphoria is a lot like anorexia. It's a, a disordered feeling and thinking posture that we don't need to indulge. Number four. Many children grow out of gender dysphoria. There's a lot of children. You know, I can remember as a little boy, uh, Robbie Davidson lived across the street, and he was a really good friend of mine. And I, like, was thinking about life, and I loved houseboats. And uh, I told him one day, I wanted uh, to marry him, and we would have a houseboat. Well, his mother freaked out. There's nothing sexual with it or anything. I was just, he was a good friend, and, and I didn't understand all about that. I was like five or six years of age, and I, well, <laughs> You don't understand what marriage means. You don't understand life, but you were just, hey, hey, I, I enjoy our friendship. Yeah, so so there are kids are going to say, uh, girls are going to want to dress like boys. Boys are going to want to dress like girls. You know, they're going to want to, it, it, it's just, 
childish stuff that it and and that's why the the culture right now is just crazy. So two two boys at four or five years old are at the park playing and hold hands like that's not a it's not an emergency. It's not a hey let's stop you know hold on there gender dysphoria. We need to this just oh it's a normal developmental part of life. Uh, uh, number five, many simply live with the pain, uh, attempting to navigate. Like, like uh, oftentimes homosexual desires, transgender desires, uh, even even the desire, you know, to leave your spouse when you have a good spouse. Desires can often be really difficult to deal with. And as we've said with gender dysphoria and with homosexuality, oftentimes the desires cause a lot of pain in your life. Uh, number six, and, and this is really important, Scripture, and we're going to go through the Scriptures, uh, lead us to say no to indulging in transgender behavior. No to indulging, as we're going to see, homosexual behavior. No to indulging in uh, using pornography, no to having affairs outside of marriage. Um, and then number seven, Scripture leads us to love and help those with gender dysphoria to live out the sexual identity that uh, that they had at birth. Mm. So just as we jump into it, I just wanted to kind of lay that lay that down. You know, one of the things with this, sometimes the response to these kind of truths uh, and these things you laid out, sometimes the response is, well, are you saying that it's fine that we even think that way, you know, because we stop the behavior. But if we really look at what the scriptures tell us to do, Paul tells us in Second Corinthians chapter 10 uh, to capture every thought uh, that does not obey Christ and bring it into subjection. So we're not simply surface levels speaking to just stop the behavior, absolutely stop the behavior, stop the action on it. But even deeper still, we're trying to even get to the thought process. Yeah, yeah. And that's what the scriptures, when he says the scriptures are leading us even in our thoughts, because our thoughts become our actions. So right. we want to stop the actions definitely, but even correct. Uh, don't indulge the thought. There's that old expression, sow a thought, uh, reap an act, sow an act reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, and then uh, sow a character. And, uh, you know, you're, you're assigning or walking in an eternal destiny if you don't change. So it's like I struggle with lust, okay, uh, for women. Uh, and I just have to, you can't indulge it. Martin Luther used to say, you can't stop the birds from flying around your head and he was talking about people who had hair. You can't stop the birds from flying around your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. <laughs> and I like that. It's like we won't have the problem of the nest thing, but I get the point. <laughs> now, now the truth is uh, we all struggle with thoughts. We go, oh, where'd that come from? But sometimes it's uh, an ongoing thought. It's coming all the time, and we need help. And the basic thing we have to learn to do is to say no. I'm not going to indulge that. I'm not going to act on that and, uh, you know, to live that way. So, Bobby, from, you know, as we're dealing with this, we've got the 
I guess, kind of the foundation of what leads to transgender thinking, a thought process and, and, and identity. It starts with these uh, gender dysphoria uh, things that you've laid out. But but hit us with, OK, the historical truth of, of sex and gender. Like, how does that how does that break down? Because now we're getting some different things. So help us with sex and gender. Sure. So first of all, uh, Western civilization, uh, so Europe, Canada, the U.S., uh, South America, Western civilization uh, came out of more of a, a it's called a Judeo-Christian worldview. So from the beginning, the sexual ethic of Scripture has been dominant in North America. So typically, uh, based on the New Testament more than the Old, uh, you know, one man and one woman, and uh, gender, the gender you were born with became equated, you know, with the gender throughout life. In fact, uh, up until really about 10 years ago, uh, your sex equaled your, your biological sex equaled your gender. So let me just, for clarity, keep your thought, but for clarity, you're born with a certain type of plumbing. Right. You're either male or female. Yes. Uh, and that, so your sex and your gender, that was. Yes. Now let's, let's address something that people often bring up. There's a very, very small percentage of children born with ambiguous uh, plumbing. Okay. So historically, I mean, it's so small uh, that uh, in history they're often considered eunuchs. Uh, like when Jesus said, some are born eunuch. Right. Um, but what has happened uh, medically is that doctors would often make a decision at birth. Very small number, uh, but, you know, again, it's, the, it's uh, one of the consequences that every part of life is corrupted because of the fall. Sure. Uh, including, like, like I have asthma. Well, where did asthma come from? Well, asthma ultimately comes as a result of the fall. People are born blind because of the fall. Uh, be, people have all kinds of struggles, you know, because of mutations, and, and that's the world in which we live. As we long for utopia where none of that happens, well, the truth of the matter is sometimes children are born with ambiguous plumbing, and sometimes because of sinful conditions uh, that are part of the sin nature, we desire things that we shouldn't, from homosexuality to transgenderism or, uh, you know, pornography or affairs or, or whatever. Okay. So, so sex equals gender. Uh, that, that was the historical, like, that's all that we've had. What's happening now, though? Well, in the last 10 years... Your biological sex, people are saying, does not equate with your gender. That feelings, that your feelings for your gender determine your gender. So the, the biblical understanding of sex and gender, it was, it was laid down. Okay, and, and if you all remember in our first episode, we, we walked through how um, there's a biblical truth that God lays down. And then Satan comes in and says, oh, it's not that way. So now we've got your sex equals your gender, truth. And now Satan reintroduces another knot by saying, well, no, I guess that's, 
that's not it. Yeah. So now you can be born with certain uh, plumbing, as we're saying, but he's saying it. you may feel a different way. And that's what you are now. Yeah. Um, so now feelings are what we do with our gender. Yeah. And is, is, it, is it certain? Well, it's such a dominant thing now. You know, uh, in a couple of local high schools here where, where we're recording, uh, there are children who think of themselves as cats. And they literally have uh, litter boxes and things like that. Um, just yesterday, uh, I noticed in Germany, in Berlin, there's a meeting of, of people who think they're dogs. And uh, like it's a convention of people who believe that they're dogs. And uh, so the feeling self uh, is triumphing over the biological self or the self living consistent with God's created order. Uh, so as Christians, that's what we're advocating is that we live consistent with God's created order. Okay. So let me let me sh jump in and because people want to know, well, where does the Bible say this? Yeah. So. Let me share a couple of passages with you, and then uh, maybe I'll read them, Anthony, and, and you can react. The first is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So Genesis chapter 1, in the very beginning, has gender binary, male and female, he created them. Now, Jesus affirms this in uh, Matthew 19, when Jesus is asked about marriage and divorce, he says, uh, they're asking him, and he says, haven't you read, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. For this reason, or on this basis, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So Moses teaches us in Genesis chapter 1, God made us male and female. Jesus reaffirms that. The Creator made them male and female. Uh, and then you have a passage in uh, the book of Deuteronomy uh, where the Israelites were told that men are not supposed to wear women's clothing. Women are not to wear men's clothing. Uh, uh, that's part of the Mosaic law. But then even more so, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to bring up a passage that's not often brought up because it's a complex passage. Okay. Uh, so let me mention it. We can come back to it if you want. The Apostle Paul is talking about in the gathering of Christians for religious services, in the Greco-Roman world, especially in Roman Corinth, when men would pray, they would cover their heads. It's the way of showing that they're honoring their gods and they're in submission to the gods. So, so they would cover their heads. The expression is catechephale, according to the head, they would cover their head. But the Apostle Paul says women, in the, uh, when the Christians come together, if a woman is praying or prophesying in that group, she shouldn't cover her head because She's under her head, who is uh, her husband. But, but he says this. This is what he says. Does not the very nature of things teach you, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15, 
Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, in other words, if a man's trying to act like a woman, it's a disgrace to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. Now, his point is not to get in about a hair length. His point was for a man to act like he's a woman, that's disgraceful. And a woman should embrace the fact that God made her as a woman typified by long hair. So these are passages that when you bring them together, they clearly teach uh, and show that in Scripture, it's the gender binary. Men are men, women are women. In, in biology, in even their cultural understanding, like when he says, you know, this is just how it, how it is. Like men act, behave, dress, handle themselves a particular way, women as well, down to their very selves different, their DNA, it's different, and it's binary. It's one or the other. And so that's that's a foundational thing that we got to understand as we have this conversation. And again, this is just the truth. It, it, it's, it's the truth that, that God made us this way. There's one dimension of this that, you know, obviously there are those who struggle with some of their feelings or they struggle with maybe their attractions or they struggle with, I don't, you know, their proclivity, I don't like, etc. But we must agree in how God made. Yes. Now all the struggle, you know, we will deal with that, but we have to go back to, okay, but God didn't make it. Yeah. Okay. So let's just talk about this for a second, because uh, I was teaching on this topic uh, publicly at our church, and and there was a young man uh, who was there. Uh, his father's a very good friend of mine, and uh, he struggles with uh, gender dysphoria, so he's identifying as a woman. And he was at church, and uh, he didn't like like the passages that we've gone through. Uh, he didn't like it and uh, didn't agree with it, okay? And the question really became, well, what is the basis of how you determine what's right about this? So one of the things that you and I are doing, and I just want to declare it, is that I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe uh, for lots of reasons, including historical ones, that he revealed God to us, that when God speaks through Scripture, it's revealing God's truth for us and for our lives. So for me, the basis of my life is not going to be my feelings. It's going to be my biology. But more important than even that is going to be what God's Word says. Yes. I want to align myself with what God says and to align myself and live that way. Now, somebody who doesn't have that same presupposition as me, if they don't believe Scripture, they're, they're going to say, well, I don't agree with you. I just want to go with feelings. And, uh, you know, people are going to do that, and we're not going to stop them. But if you claim to be a Christian, you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then Scripture is the ultimate authority. So the first thing is, if you're struggling or your child is really struggling with gender dysphoria, you need help because you don't want to walk through this alone. Uh, go to your local church. Uh, if it's an evangelical Bible-believing church, 
they're going to be able to connect you with counselors uh, and therapists who can help you help your child to really deal with the the unwanted feelings. Uh, I think that uh, 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 parents uh, also need help. It's not just getting your child help, but parents need help in terms of being strong. I see so many parents today caving on biblical teaching because of their children, uh, especially as they become young adults. They're just abandoning the teachings of Jesus. And I think we want to support parents with love, which is grace. So grace was grace. I'm going to give my definition again. Grace and truth in action with grace leading the way. So we're going to be gracious and kind and merciful, but we're also going to be truthful. And uh, we're going to help parents to be truthful. Now, there's a third thing I want to mention. And uh, I want to say this uh, because I find it very helpful, and I, I never thought of it before. The church, here's what it is. The church needs to advocate archetypes, not stereotypes. So an archetype is a general pattern, whereas a stereotype is a fixed profile. So there's a lady that I know who went through a period of identifying uh, as a man. Okay, She grew up in a Christian home, and her picture of a woman was a very feminine woman who uh, dressed in a dainty way and was a very clear stereotype of a very, very feminine woman. And she didn't relate to it. She didn't think of that as her. And in thinking that way, even though she wasn't really uh, somebody who struggled with gender dysphoria, she just she struggled with homosexuality and thought, well, I just, I'm going to identify with the man. And one of the things that she said to me is that when she came around to realize how God wants her to live, is that she needed to realize that that stereotype is not taught in Scripture. Now, now there's an archetype of what, what is a woman, uh, a godly woman. So there's the generic archetype, but it's not a stereotype. And I think the more we realize there's actually some fluidity. You can be a true man, but not not be really a you know the the Rambo uh, sports guy or the you might be a man who's more artistic and creative, but you're still a man. Yeah, still the archetype of a man. Yes, just like for a woman, you can have a woman who's a, a godly woman, but she wants to be proactive and and maybe she has a business and uh, you know is a is a leader, uh, but she's a fisher, and she could be a hunter and a fisher, and still so 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 there's archetypes not stereotypes and i think it's important that we say that and then uh uh the the fourth thing is we've got to teach people to pick up their cross deny themselves and follow jesus more uh we don't live by our feelings christians don't live by feelings we live by truth and we live by taking every thought captive and making it obedient to christ and so the christian life is described in many ways, like in Romans chapter 6 is, you know, death to self, alive to Christ. So we don't live for our feelings. Uh, we, uh, we, we subvert our feelings to the truth and teaching of God. We deny feelings that are inappropriate feelings 
and we don't act on them so that we will act the right way. Amen. Amen. And, and the more that you follow the Spirit of God, as Paul would say, as we follow the Spirit, we walk by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit, we produce and live out the fruits of the Spirit against such things, as he says, there is no law. We can keep on loving, keep on being forgiving and kind and joyful, but it's those things that go against God's word that take us away from him. So uh, our prayer is, uh, as we discuss this in a loving and graceful way, uh, we're compassionate towards those who struggle. Um, and because on some level, we all have a struggle one way or the other with something. Uh, but it is our aim to teach us how to get out of that through God's word. Let's deal with a couple of questions here. Okay. Um, I debated whether to bring this up. But I'm, I think we should because I want to be maximum help to those who are listening. So in our places at work uh, and in our interactions in the community, we're going to be called upon to refer to people by their preferred pronouns. Okay? Mm. Uh, you know this, Anthony, uh, and our listeners, I've referred to it in the past, but I spent the first 36 years of my life in Canada. And right now in Canada, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, uh, and people like him are forcing this progressive ideology uh, onto people. And in uh, government and in places of work, if you refuse somebody's preferred pronoun, you'll literally be charged. Mm. Uh, so I want to ask, uh, what are some things that, uh, that we need to be, remember? So I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to ask you about some questions. Okay, so let me put them out there and then let's, uh, in this last five minutes, try to deal with them. All right. How, how, how do we think about it, like at work and with people that we meet? Because a big part of us, with me, and I, I think you're, you would be the same, and many people in our churches, we don't want to have conflicts. Like, it's going to be really easy. Hey, you're obviously a man. You refer to yourself as a woman. You want me to call you her, and I'm just going to get along and I'll, I'll do it. But is that dealing with what's at stake? Secondly, uh, are we, if we refer to somebody by their preferred pronoun, are we helping them to believe a lie? Mm. Mm. Um, are we... Uh, when we do that, uh, creating a culture and going along with a culture of confusion. And, uh, and then lastly, are we lying to ourselves when we go along with the narrative? Because if you start doing it, your kids will start doing it. They'll do it at school. And all of a sudden, the, the culture just takes us over and we cave on the teachings of Jesus. So, Anthony? Yeah, the, the root of all of those things that you just brought up, all those questions. Uh, and again, I know there are those who are employed at places. I know that, that they're, they're in communities. They're trying to grapple with this. They love their friends, their coworkers. You know, they want to deal with this, their family. The root of all of those questions is our adherence to truth. Um, now, 
I don't know, Bobby, particular stain on the back of that set there. I don't know what that color is. One person may say it's this. Another may say, oh, it's mahogany. One may say it's this. But there is an objective color that that is. It's, it's, it's there. We don't have to debate. So when we deal with truth, uh, I have to accept the truth regardless of how I feel. So when you talk about are we supporting a lie, we are when we embrace what we know not to be true. So we're going to say something is white. We're going to say, no, it's black because it wants to be that. We're going to say, and that's antithetical to what we teach our kids. Um, we're going to get to a place, Bobby, where we're going to say two plus two is five. Yeah. So all of those things, you know, they revolve around, are we going to embrace the truth? Yeah. And by me helping you, it's going to be difficult to tell somebody who has their desires, has their feelings, have walked in that for a while. It's going to be difficult to say, hey, I understand you feel this way. This is not what God intends for your life. It's going to cause some conflict. But the end of that, as Jesus would tell us, it is the truth that makes us free. Yeah, that's true. So let's let's just um, pause for a second here because. I have friends, so we're recording this in the in the fall of 2023, and uh, I have friends who've just about lost their jobs uh, over this. Uh, it's more the inserting the policy in their companies, uh, being in charge of HR departments and being responsible to implement it. Um, I think that we're on the precipice of a bunch of people losing their jobs because they will not use uh, gender pronouns. And uh, I think it's going to become a really big deal in the school systems. Uh, our children are going to be taught to refer to somebody who's transitioning by their preferred uh, new name and pronoun and so forth. So I want to be very careful uh, with what you're talking about, which I agree with, is that we have to live by truth. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, you may have heard me say this before, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was the probably the most important dissident uh, in the Soviet Union from 20, uh, communism came to Russia in, what was it, 1917, and really existed there through the early 90s. And uh, the most important dissident who spoke out against it was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And uh, it was the Marxist framework, which says there's, I was an oppressor and the oppressed, and ultimately what's happened today is we've been told that sexual, uh, sexual minorities like homosexuals, like transgenders, like bisexuals, that they're the, minor, they're the oppressed minority, and we've got to overthrow that oppression. So politically and economically and with government uh, and corporations, we're being forced to not be the oppressor of uh, forcing them with our pronouns, but they're supposed to overthrow us, and we've got to agree with that. Mm. So it's a Marxist framework. My point is this. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was asked, in that environment, what is the single most important thing? 
And he said one thing, live not by lies. Right. Live by truth. So I don't want to get in a place where I'm being prescriptive of everybody in their uh, places of work or schools with the pressure that they're living under. Uh, but boy, I sure don't want to be that guy who's going along with you believing a lie. Uh, you living your life not by truth. Now, how I negotiate that, um, you know, I'm probably going to be the guy to resist, even to the point of possibly losing my job. Uh, I would want my grandchildren to resist, but I don't want to be overly prescriptive because of the environments in which they're going to live. Um, so I just think it's real difficult and it's going to get increasingly difficult and we've got to help each other uh, to love well, but loving well means we care about what's truthful. So I'm going to give it back to you for the last comments here. Amen. My last comment on that is amen and amen. <laughs> Thank you all again for uh, listening to us here on Scripture in Black and White. We encourage you, go back and look at the scriptures that we've brought up. Go back and look at some of the points that we've outlined as well. Uh, we understand it's a sensitive subject uh, and we approach it with grace uh, and love and truth. Uh, and we're praying for you wherever you are, those who have the struggle, uh, those who are parents who are struggling, families that are struggling, uh, those who are employed and your employer is causing this as a struggle. Uh, but we want you to keep holding on to God's word and living out. We thank you. Bobby Harrington from Scripture in Black and White here. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us. Hey, can you help us? You could like, comment, and subscribe to our channel. That would be great. Just subscribe to Renew.org, and then you'll get notices when the next episode from our podcast or other Renew podcasts come out. And it would greatly help us, and we hope and believe it will greatly encourage you. Thank you for listening to Scripture in Black and White. Please comment, like, and subscribe. Coming up next, Homosexuality and Scripture Part 1.